Welcome to the Student Leadership Podcast, a series of conversations about working with students in and through the local church. My name is Brogan Hume, I'm the student worker at The Belfry in York, and this is great to have you with us today. Coming up on today's show, we've got Dr. Lucy Pepiot talking about spiritual formation. We'll be asking her what in the earth that actually is and how do we help students engage with it. As well as a church leader, Lucy is also a renowned theologian, the principal of Westminster Theological Centre. And so as well as asking about spiritual formation, we'll also be talking about how to share our faith in the marketplace of ideas, which is working with students. Here's a bit of what is coming up on the show. I think that it's important for people who are working with students to engage with intellectual ideas because that's what the students are having to do. And so um, throw yourself into it and get to know what's out there, get to know the good answers. But really, people are won over by character and relationship, really. So whether you work with students as a full-time job or you're a student yourself leading a small group or maybe you're a passionate member of a church congregation who's desperate to see more students starting to follow Jesus and learn from Jesus and live out a life of following Jesus, you are so welcome here. It is great to have you with us. Before we kick off the interview, I just want to say a massive thank you to everybody who has shared this podcast on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and by email with people they know. It makes such a difference. And we're already hearing stories from student ministers who have been inspired and resourced in what they are doing. So please do keep sharing it. Most importantly, remember to subscribe to this podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts so that we can deliver a fresh new podcast to you every other week talking about students, student ministry and all things student work. It's what we're passionate about here and we want to share it with you. So please subscribe. Finally, for links to the resources that Lucy talks about and much more, head to our blog www.thestudentleadershipblog.com. Here's my interview with Dr. Lucy Pepiot. Welcome to the Student Leadership Podcast. We're here at the Fusion Conference Firebrands in Oxford. It's my pleasure today to be joined by Dr. Lucy Pepiot. Lucy is the principal of Westminster Theological Centre, WTC, which has pioneered a unique model of training in theology for life, work and mission that integrates the very best of theological and biblical scholarship with the power and gifts of the Holy Spirit. She also co-leads Crossnet Church, a community of predominantly young adults in Bristol. Lucy, it's great to have you with us today. Thank you. It's good to be here. If that's a bit of a formal introduction, uh, can you tell us a bit about yourself? What makes you tick? What are you passionate about? Well, obviously, I'm passionate about theology because I teach it and study it. Um, I love WTC. I love my job and what I do. It's such a privilege to be able to serve the church in the way that we do, of just providing a place where people can 
study God, can go deeper into the Bible, can get to know the, the background and the roots of their own faith. Um, and to do that with a whole bunch of colleagues who are just wonderful people, uh, really good communicators, um, and know how to bring the Bible and Christian doctrine and church history really alive for people. So I love that. Um, I love my family. I'm very blessed. I have four wonderful sons and a lovely husband. So that's very precious. And I love hanging out with them all. <laughs> that's brilliant. And. Um... And so you're an academic, you mm. uh, lead a theological centre, um, and yet you're also, uh, uh, you're not shut away in an academic sort of bubble um, where the text is all just remains on the page. You bring it to life and you live this stuff out. Can you talk to us a bit about um, how you went from wherever you started with that mm. and, and to where you are now? Yeah, well... I met uh, my husband when I was 24 and then we were married quite soon after that and he's ordained in the Anglican Church. So we, I found myself not having sort of planned anything like this and I think it was definitely God taking hold of my life and, and sort of shoving me into a whole new thing. Um, and I found myself as a curate's wife uh, and then very soon after that I had a baby and I was really right in the middle of church life which wasn't perhaps what I'd have chosen for myself. I thought I was going to go off and have amazing adventures, you know, in South America, and suddenly I was in middle-class Twickenham <laughs> pushing a pram around. And um, <laughs> so, but I I actually found that I, I loved the church and I really wanted to be where I was. So I started leading groups. I felt God calling me um, into a lay preacher's role, which is a lay reader in the diocese of London so I trained for that and really it was those sort of beginnings which I then built on in my 30s went to um, study theology uh, remotely on my own and then moved on from there to do a master's and and then to do a PhD but there was no plan I mean I have to say there was no it was just literally I felt like I sort of fell it from one thing into another um, and but the thing behind it was that I absolutely loved theology I loved the study and the the sort of um, privilege, I think, of being able to set aside time to read really great minds who who love the Lord but have applied themselves to how can we speak well about God and how can we understand the Bible better and then how does that translate into lives of discipleship and mission. Um, and worship and I and and when I had sort of made all those connections I thought this is really what should be at the heart of the Christian life because it's depth and it's substance and it's just deeply rewarding and satisfying so a lot of what I do there then translates into how I was a mum how I was a pastor how I was a friend you know, and um, and how I spoke to non-Christians about my faith. So I, I see it as all integrated. I wouldn't say that the study of theology is just for certain people. You know, I think all Christians should do it. That's great. You're, well, as I said, we're at this conference at the moment. Um, and in the session yesterday, you spoke uh, about, uh, or you alluded to a moment in your life when you were propelled away from sort of multiple conceptual ideas mm. of truth towards a revelation of, Christ as truth in mm. and of himself. Can you tell me a bit, a bit more 
about that? Yeah, well, I went off to university at 19 and I went to uh, Birmingham University and did an English degree. So that was 1984 to 1987. And um, I think it was probably the sort of height of uh, postmodernism, really getting... I did an English degree, so it was sort of right in the heart of what we were studying. I, I don't recall having any Christian lectures. Maybe there was one, I don't know. But I wasn't really interested in the Christian faith, particularly at that point. Um, and I'd been brought up... My parents are Christians, and so we'd had a lovely home, but they weren't evangelicals. So we were sort of very free to just, you know, roam around among ideas. And um, and I, I found that I was really interested in the ideas that I encountered at university and um, explored things, postmodernism, poststructuralism. I read Derrida and Foucault and all those people. And I and I appreciated their intellects and the, you know, the fact that I thought they were saying really interesting things. And I think for a while I was very convinced that truth was relative and that it was, you know, it depended on your perspective and then that would determine the outcome of what you believe. Um, but that sort of wore off, I guess, and the more... I remember my mother gently challenging me as I'd go back home and say, you know, gender differences are socially constructed and things like that. And she used to laugh and say, wait till you have children. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, I was exploring ideas and I, I... And I still think, actually, there's a place for Christians to really engage with the kind of secular ideas that are out there and explore why people think what they think. And, um, but it was it was meeting Christians after I left university who deeply impressed me that began to change my mind. And so I, I worked with Catholic uh, Christians, with the homeless for three years, and they had a huge impact on me. Um, and then I went with one of my cousins out to Africa and spent time with a whole bunch of charismatic Christians who I hadn't really encountered particularly at university and they were very real very authentic people and they were all working with the poor and that just had made a deep impression on me um, and they were very free and fun and laughed a lot and drank beer and I thought these are my kind of people and so uh, and so they sort of slowly won me over and I found myself at a meeting where I gave my life to Jesus Brilliant. Yeah. Well, so he he was, you know, he was in the background. Jesus was sort of in the background of all these people's lives. That, I mean, obviously in the foreground from their perspective. But for me, it was like, oh, wait, he's behind all of this. Um, and so he, I, I felt compelled by him as a figure. Um, and and intellectually, I suppose, really, I thought I have to have integrity over this. If I, If this is true, then I have to do something about it. Mm. Um, so uh, he he won me over in the in the end. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so for myself and for many student workers, uh, we'll be working with students who, like yourself, arrived at university eighteen nineteen, um, and still embrace this idea of uh, all truth is relative mm. in, in some sense. Mm. Either they uh, study th philosophy and they explicitly say that, or um, that's sort of their background understanding of the world what advice would you have for people working with students who were in who are in the position that you were in when you were that age um it's a good question because actually I was in my heart I was quite resistant so I didn't really want to hear 
anything else, I suppose. But I was won over by people who I thought were very genuine. So I think that a person's demeanour is, in a sense, more important than what they say. Um, but I, I think that you... So, so working with young people, I feel they have a real radar for authenticity and you know they they don't like people putting on a show or, or adopting certain language to try and you know get close to them or whatever um and so I think being yourself is a great gift and um and then gently um challenging like my mum did you know perhaps laughing not taking it too seriously I think that we it's really important for Christians, mature Christians, not to be threatened by ideas um, that are, you know, clearly are threatening in some sense. I mean, they're anti the gospel, but um, but they're not going to take down the gospel. You know, they're not. They're not. God is not threatened by uh, post-structuralists or postmodernists, and and um, and has pretty good answers for them. So I think that it's important for people who are working with students to engage with intellectual ideas because that's what the students are having to do. And so um, throw yourself into it and get to know what's out there, get to know the good answers. But really, people are won over by character and relationship, really, I think. Mm. This might sound like a bit of an odd question, but do you think that uh, the academic sphere has changed in its approach to the concept of truth in the time that you've been in academia? Uh, definitely, I would say. So one of the things that I do see since I was a student myself um, and now being in higher education is that there is a lot more respect for faith positions. And whereas in the 80s, um, I think there was no respect, really, for anybody who had any... Uh, faith. Uh, I think now that, it, I don't know whether it's because it's been enforced and people have to, you know, be political, in a sense that's the new political correctness, is that if you have a faith I have to respect it. And perhaps that's the spin-off of postmodernism, that, you know, your truth is as valid as mine, so there we go. But um, I, I think the I think the tide has shifted. I read an inter interesting article uh, written by a couple of atheists um, saying that they were deeply disappointed that the agenda of trying to keep out faith positions out of religious studies had failed so they were saying that it doesn't it doesn't work they thought it would they thought it would make religious studies a proper academic discipline you know because they still were working with this idea that objectivity would somehow produce a better research result um, which is silly because nobody's objective but um, yeah, so I think things are shifting and actually it's a more favourable environment for people with faith, any faith. So it's better for Christians now in, in the academy, I would say. Mm. That's great. Thank you. That's really helpful. Um, you talk about being compelled by the person of Christ mm. uh, and that's sort of the instigator of, uh, of coming to faith in, in him and living a life of following him. How has your understanding of Jesus changed um, from that initial meeting mm. of being confronted by him mm. to where it is 
That's that a great now. question. Yeah, so that's like 30 years of <laughs> travel. Um, I, I still recall reading the Gospels through and for the first time properly. And I recall that I spoke about it yesterday, the sense of surprise at who Jesus was and what he was like. And I, I, what hit me most, I think, was that he was quite offensive. Uh, that because that, I hadn't been prepared for discovering that, um, that he didn't actually mind offending people. And um, I actually quite like that because especially back then I was probably a bit offensive sometimes. <laughs> and, it, and as a young woman, and then I came into the church and young Christian women were so nice. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, you people are so nice. Doesn't anyone say what they think? Um, so I so it's a bit of a culture shock for me. So I quite, I quite liked reading the Gospels and thinking, oh, thank goodness. You don't have to be nice all the time as a Christian because Jesus certainly wasn't. I mean, he just actually wasn't. Um, and he wasn't meek and mild. Um, he was very strong and sometimes silent and sometimes questioning. So th that really has stayed with me, this, this, the first impressions that I had. Um, I think that I would answer that question by saying that my, my studies and my life and the things that have happened in my life have, have changed and shaped my whole view of God. So whereas Jesus, in one sense, I would say, I think I've had quite a steady view of this person of Jesus of Nazareth. Um, the, and I studied Trinitarian theology for my PhD. And so the idea of God as Father, Son and Spirit revealed to us through Jesus in the Bible, but also through revelation and through prayer and through the Spirit revealing to us truths about God. Um, I, I think that I've really just grown in a, a sense of um, awe, I think, of who God is. Uh, what he allows to happen is... Um, is quite brutal and challenging so that is a should be a challenge i think to us and and it's a challenge to a sort of naive view of god because he's much more complex and much more difficult than we would want um but that his goodness and his love and his compassion is so deep and and so never ending and I think the older I get, the, the most, the, the characteristic of God that stays with me most deeply is his mercy. And I, I have seen and sensed over the years more than anything that God is so merciful. And if he's merciful to me, then I must learn to be merciful to others. Mm. And I see that in Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> You co-lead Crossnet Church, as I said at the beginning. How has that understanding of uh, the merciful God who we worship shaped the way that you co-lead that community? Um, I think my husband would probably say it doesn't shape very much of how I co-lead with him. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Um, we try not to work too much together now because... <laughs> 
<laughs> not very good in each other's spaces. Um, yeah, I'm it's so funny. Encouragement to all married <laughs> couples who are listening. <laughs> <laughs> you listen to theologians and preachers, don't you? And they come up with these great ideas, and then you sort of say, "So what's it? How does that work out in practice?" And their family's like, "They're a nightmare." <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, um, we. I. I think that. As a pastor, in general, I think that the mercy of God is in his endless embrace and opportunities to just keep coming back. And I I see that very much. I mean, I see it in my own life, but I, I think for young people, it's very important not to... Um, weigh them down with expectations that are going to sink them um, because it's hard being a Christian in our culture. It, we John Owen, who's one of my heroes, uh, it, he was a, a, a Puritan theologian in the 17th century. He, it, one of his phrases was that the enemy comes against the church by force and by fraud. And I, it, it's such a sort of simple um, formula, but it seems to me to be, to be right, and that there are places in the world where the enemy is attacking the church by force, literally killing Christians. And here in this country, the church is being attacked by fraud. So we're deceived. We're deceived about what the Christian faith is. We're deceived about how the relevance of it to people, and we're silenced in many ways, in in weird ways, I think. Um, and and this is what we're up against and young Christians have to find their way in that older Christians need to um, live out the mercy of God towards them so that we can you know pull them along and help them to to establish a faith that will last them their whole lives and through a lot of hardship actually um, and a lot of joys but that's I think that's the goal for older Christians like all older Christians should be involved with younger Christians. I know that one of the uh, topics you're passionate about is uh, spiritual formation. Mm. I'd love to talk a bit about that, but before we get started, uh, can you just tell us what spiritual formation actually is? <laughs> what do we mean by that? Yeah, um, I think what we mean, uh, what we understand by it is the, the, the fundamentals of the of the human creature is that they're moldable, they're plastic, you know, so our, our minds and our desires and our, uh, how we think, how we perceive, um, how we respond, how we will and desire are, are all moldable. They're all, some people can come and change those things or circumstances can change those things. And so definitely God can change those things because he created us in the first place. Um, so there's no need for a human being and certainly for a Christian actually to say, oh, well, I'm just like that. And um, that's an enormous relief, actually, I, I think, is, is to be able to be free from this idea that I'm trapped in the way that I think or do or will or desire and I cannot get out of it. Um, 
And other people know that. I mean, if you look at AA, you look at any anyone who works with addicts will know that, that it might be a battle, but that it can be won or there can be changes that are made. And I think that spiritual formation is about that. It's about the forming. We say spiritual formation, but really it's the whole person formation that includes the spirit, the soul, the body, the mind. And it's this idea that God by his word and his spirit, can form us into his likeness. And the that process works better the more we cooperate with him. Mm. And so there's a process of us engaging Absolutely. with what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I actually believe that he'll do it anyway. I mean, that's my sort of theological conviction I think the yeah. Bible teaches that that we're on a journey where mm. God is transforming us into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the spirit so I think that he he's taking us that's what the spirit's work is is to make us more like Jesus and he'll get us there but obviously the more that we learn in this life the more fruit will come out of our lives the less damage we'll do which is a good thing um, and the more that we'll live in his kingdom, which is where life and light and freedom is. Mm. Why is spiritual formation so important and I think so attractive for this generation? It's, um, it's important because human beings have the ability to change things around them. They have the potential for that. And Dallas Willard, who's one of another of my heroes, wrote a book called The Divine Conspiracy. And he says that we're called to be part of God's divine conspiracy, his great big plan to overcome evil with good. And for me, that is the key to it. That's a great plan. And and it actually works when you you hear amazing stories of what happens when Christians forgive their enemies, for instance. That that must be, I'm sure, is the one of the hardest things that a person could ever be called to do. I think it's a non-negotiable. So I think that it's a that God expects us to do it, and that's what we're called to do. Um, because when we do, I mean, that's at the heart of the cross. We were the enemies of God and God forgave us in the cross. It's That's the gospel. And so once we know that we have been forgiven of everything, the, the deepest level, then this is, you know, that's what God wants of us, to know that, to then be able to forgive others who do the worst things to us. I've never had to do it I pray that if I had to do it God would give me grace I you know I have huge ad admiration for people who do this but what happens is you see the power that is released into communities families even nations when this kind of thing happens and I think that is the divine conspiracy I think it's what Christians are called to do I genuinely think Christians could change the world they do change the world but we could do it even more yeah <laughs> What are some of the uh, unique barriers that you see uh, for this generation, the students that we work with, for engaging in this spiritual formation process? So I think that image, relationships, entertainment industry, um, it, it all 
must conspire to be to to distort one's picture of oneself and um, that I think is at the root of all the identity problems and depression and sexual identity and all sorts of things that just seem to pile one on another you know for young people um, so it's tough it's tough for them and it's definitely why they need people around them and need older people and steady people and all sorts of things yeah so getting older uh, more mature christians around mm. uh, younger people uh, students um is one of the ways that you talked about helping them engage in this process of uh, becoming more like jesus mm. what other ways sort of specific practical ways can we as student workers help people engage in, in what God is doing in them? Um, I think that it's really good to engage the prophetic gifting. So I, I, I love the way that the prophetic, when it's handled, when it's practiced well, handled well, delivered well, it's a fantastic gift for speaking into people's lives and helping them to get the right perspective on themselves and to understand the potential that they have in God. And I think, so if I were a student minister now, I would be following Paul's advice to um, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially to prophesy. And um, I would as well as building proper relationships, obviously. Um, but on top of that, I would be looking for ways in which to help um, foster the prophetic in a really good way so it doesn't go off the rails, obviously. Um, and Because I think it's a really healing gift and I think it releases people and, and, and heals them and sort of calibrates their sense of who they are because they understand who how God sees them so that that's one thing which I would really recommend um, and I would recommend Bible study in groups so just really getting into the word I think Bible study should be done really with other people and one of the problems with evangelicals is that we've made it so individualistic and that's why it's such a slog and you know who understands the Bible really so you need to do it with people so that you get into the heart of it um, and what else I think that's enough now yeah <laughs> Right, if we can get students around older people engaging in the yes. prophetic and getting them reading the Bibles. Then yes, that's a good start. That's, that's, I mean, that's not bad. <laughs> I, I would take that. If all my <laughs> students were doing that, you know, um, that would be great. Uh, and I know that in terms of studying the Bible uh, and also studying theology, how we understand God, um, WTC, uh, the organisation organization of which you are the principal, mm. has got some great resources. Can you tell us a bit about that um, and what's available people through WTC? Yes, we um, we have our, our formal courses and paid for accredited courses, which of course I 
think are great, um, but they require quite a bit of investment in terms of time and money. Um, so that's obviously something that people should consider if they've finished a degree to come and do the graduate diploma, if they've done a theology degree to come and do our master's, um, or if they haven't, if they've left school with uh, GCSEs or A-levels to come and do the certificate. Um, so there's all sorts of options for accredited courses, which are a bit more demanding, uh, in my view, more rewarding. But, you know, so we, there's all of that. But because we know that people can't always sign up for something that um, committed, we've also produced quite a number of free resources and a few sort of extra paid for resources. So we have two free online courses. Um, living the Christian story and spiritually formed which are available once a year so that's kind of watch this space and they come out um, we have a discipleship course which is costs five pounds but that's quite good it's good for new Christians and people who haven't had any foundation in the Christian faith Sometimes there are people who've been sitting in churches for years who need to do that course. <laughs> but anyway, so um, we call it a course, but really it's a sort of mentoring kind of process. Um, and we have interviews, we have podcasts, we have a blog. So for people who are interested in just engaging with some theology, some interesting ideas, um, there's if... if we're going to have, I'm not sure it's up yet, but we're going to have WTC resource as part of our website, which will have resources on it with some just some interesting different kind of things for people to engage with. That's brilliant. And uh, if you head to our website, www.thestudentleadershipblog.com, there'll be links to everything that Lucy's just mentioned, um, or just Google Westminster Theological Centre. It'll all come up oh and one other thing is i just do want to plug my husband's website which is bibleforlife.co.uk nick crawley's website because he has there are masses of resources on there for engaging with books of the bible and um they're all free completely free and he uses it himself for a disciple discipling coaching ministry so it can even be used by pastors and teachers and people to you know, take other people through it. Yeah, that's a brilliant website. I can um, personally <laughs> commend that one to you wholeheartedly. <clears throat> Lucy, if there was to be one habit that you had to pick out that's helpfully shaped your life more than mm. any other, what do you think it would be? It would be prayer, definitely. Um, just the... It's been haphazard in my life because I have four children so I I started off so well when I was young and um, single and then got married and then my life was thrown into turmoil and then uh, you know had kids had illnesses had stresses um, so yeah, it's never been regular it's it's always been sometimes I've prayed in the middle of the night sometimes I've prayed at the end of the day sometimes I prayed in the morning sometimes I pray as I'm walking the dog um, but the extraordinary privilege of being able to turn to your heavenly father whenever and wherever and ask for help is um, it, I mean there's nothing like it and and then to have times of prayer where he directs you tells you what to do, tells you how to So sometimes you feel like you're praying into a vacuum. Sometimes you feel like you're in the throne room 
sometimes um, it's just a friendship. But it is, it's astonishing. It's a privilege and everyone should do it when they can. (laughs) And finally, what's your great hope for this generation? My great hope for this generation, I think that they would be more mature than my generation, (laughs) spiritually. And uh, that some of the things that we have done um, have been wonderful and uh, some of the things have not been so wonderful and it would be really great if the church could mature. Uh, And especially in the charismatic, I think of the charismatic church because that's what I've known for 30 years and there are so many things that are wonderful about it but it'd be really great if we could sort of progress and I see this generation I see potential in this generation for being able to do that and I'd love to see it Amen (laughs) Dr Lucy Fepia thank you so much thank you so much for joining us on the student leadership podcast today i don't know about you but i was struck at the end there just how honest lucy was she's a pretty big name speaker and is doing loads of new wine festivals this year and yet she's so honest about the place of prayer what a privilege to hear that For blog content to follow up on everything that Lucy was talking about there, head to our website www.thestudentleadershipblog.com. And we will have a new podcast out in two weeks' time, which is an interview with Rich Wilson, who leads Fusion, and we ask him about getting a vision for your student ministry. Here is just a little bit of what we talk about. We have to keep pioneering. We need to pioneer each new generation of students. The local church has a much bigger role to play in student mission. Vision is maybe getting a a glimpse of God's preferred future. Our vision is really just a, a small snapshot of his big mission. And I think that's what he gives each one of us, that he gives us a little glimpse on the part we're supposed to play in his big mission. So tune in in two weeks' time for that interview. But from us, that is everything. We hope you have a great couple of weeks serving students. Production support on this episode comes from Josh Allen and music is by Argo Fox and Vexcento. It is licensed under Creative Commons.